listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. Happy Resurrection Sunday. It's great to see all of you. Um, I actually can't completely see you. The, the light's pretty bright, and it's pretty dark in the room. Uh, but this is Resurrection Sunday, and it feels a little strange to celebrate Easter on my behalf uh, because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for us. In fact, if it wasn't for the resurrection, we would have absolutely no reason to gather. Um, But because of the resurrection, the resurrection changes everything. And unlike in years past, I am actually going to speak on uh, the topic of the resurrection. Usually I find a way to deviate just because it it becomes so challenging for me. But as I was preparing this week, just really dialed in on this idea of the resurrection effect. Now, I could have spelled the word effect either with an E or an A, because not only is it a noun, but it's also a verb. The resurrection has an effect, but there are things that the resurrection affects on an ongoing basis. And so I just want to read this one verse to you out of Luke chapter 24, verses 5 through 6, and it says, As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead. He is not here, but he is risen. And so we're going to step into this idea of how the resurrection affects our lives and affects our gathering today. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for our church family. Thank you for each person who is here. Lord, I know some, some are longtime attenders who are here, and then there's some who uh, maybe wandered in today, or maybe, maybe even someone, uh, it's been me in the past a few times in my life, under duress, I was forced to come to a place. And Lord, if that's them, I pray that you would meet them and reveal yourself. And Lord, for the one who's nervous about being gathering today in, in a setting like this, Lord, that you'll show up and you'll, you'll accomplish your good purpose in their life. We thank you for the resurrection. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said amen, amen. and amen. Uh, historically, growing up as a child, Easter was definitely not my favorite weekend. In fact, it was one of my least favorite weekends. I grew up starting in church in about the seventh grade. And in my eighth grade year, we began, a lot, lot happened in my eighth grade year. Back there on the East Coast, they called that junior high. Junior high was seventh and eighth grade. You graduated from eighth grade and you left junior high. You went off to high school. So there are a lot of things going on. And in my church world, there was something in eighth grade called confirmation class where my 4,000-year-old pastor decided to meet with all the eighth graders and take us through this book of history and facts and details. And it was much like reading to me at that time, much like reading you know, the, the, uh, the book that's inside of every glove compartment that no one has ever read, read about the car and how it works and how to open the door. Now, some of you probably read that, not me. I bought my car, and then I drove around, and when I figured there was a button that I didn't know what it did, then I would bust out that book, but I did not read anything else except for those details. And so this class, for me, was extremely dry and extremely boring. And it culminated on Easter Sunday where everyone in the class... We were given a white gown, which was kind of odd, and we were able to participate in communion for the very first time. There was a big buildup to this. It was Palm Sunday the week before, and we were beating each other with palm fronds and hit, you know, doing stuff that young boys shouldn't probably do at church. We got in trouble from our parents. And come into Easter Sunday, everybody was talking about how it was going to be our first communion. And I remember when communion time came and the pastor invited us down to the front They would actually pass out the elements to you one at a time and give you some juice to drink. 
And I remember it, it all built up to this moment, all reading that whole book out of the glove compartment and meeting for a, an entire year with the senior pastor and going through this class and me having to wear my new powder blue suit that I, my mom had purchased for me at, the, at a cheap store and it didn't really look good, didn't really fit well, but I needed it for graduation from eighth grade as well, that I was like, okay, communion must going to be something awesome. And I never forget when they put that wafer on my tongue and it was like dried paper with no flavor at all. The juice just barely broke it up. And then he did something and I stood up and walked back to my seat and I thought to myself, that's it? This is it? That's all? This is it? This is a great finale? I was so disappointed and walking around with my blue suit and taking a picture on the front stoop of the church and all that, it just was really kind of a, a downer. Now, that, that same season was when my eighth grade class took our trip from Connecticut, where I lived, down to uh, Washington, D.C. Every eighth grade class in our area went down, and we got on a Greyhound bus and traveled down to visit the sites. And one of the things that I've noticed since I've lived here in, in, in the Northwest since 1995, an old house here is a house that's 30 years old. An old house where I used to live is 250 years old. Like, I mean, there's still a place to tie up your horse in front of the building. And so going to a place like Washington, D.C., I'd never been there before. I'd been through history class and learned about people like President Lincoln and studied some things about the Capitol and had heard some things about the, the, the amazing cemeteries for our fallen soldiers. But it was profound to go down and visit those places even as an eighth grader. It took something that was just information in a book, really in its own sort of kind of glove compartment book that just kind of you make your way through, that actually being able to go to the place and see the tombs of previous presidents who were dead, it made it seem very much, it seemed more real. Not just historical facts, but now something that really, really happened in this place where I am actually now standing. And, you know, when I think about the details of the resurrection or the details of even American history, a lot of times it could be just that. And for me in the seventh grade, eighth grade confirmation class, it was just information. Somebody was trying to pump it in. I had no real experience with it. While I could go to Washington, D.C. and see the giant Lincoln Memorial, there, uh, there's no place to go and see the tomb that was open, so it couldn't even be practical in that way to me at that point. But as we look at the history of the resurrection, we, we spend a lot of time on the information part of it. We talk a lot about the disciples racing to the tomb, and you read, you read some of the Gospels, and uh, one of the writers of the particular Gospel, he kind of brags about how he beat the other disciple to the tomb. Not that any of the disciples were competitive, but they were guys, right? They raced to the tomb, and an, an interesting point is made that the soldiers are no longer there. The Roman soldiers who were charged with guarding the tomb with their life. I know we got a lot of political uh, uh, conspiracy theories going around and the inner workings of politics and exposés of all sorts of hidden tapes and stuff. Let me tell you, this was a modern-day scandal. This religious leader, Jesus who was crucified by his own religious leaders, was then put in charge. His actual death was under the covering of the government. And then when Jesus was resurrected and the soldiers realized the tomb is open, there was an ongoing conspiracy to hide the fact 
that Jesus was resurrected, not only amongst the government, but amongst the religious leaders of the day. The stone was rolled away. We've read about the idea of the disciples stepping inside. And how many of you love a neat house? Jesus, after being resurrected, he, the Bible says that his grave clothes were folded up and in the corner, right? I'm just, it's a little detail that stands out to every mom. Be more like Jesus. Put your stuff, you know, fold your clothes. But I would like to point out, the Bible says his face covering the veil was thrown crumpled over in the other corner. So I'm just being like Jesus. How many of you have a, have a pile on the side of your bed, right? Yeah, I see. I see. Yeah, okay. So real people here. Um, we read details about like angels being present. What a, what a wonderful depiction by our kids. That was amazing today to watch that video. And it's interesting that the, the angel says, hey, tell the others he is not here, he is risen. And so we really kind of push into all the details of the resurrection, and we celebrate the resurrection and all the facts. And, and the thing that I didn't know when I was in the eighth grade as I'm receiving communion, and took me a number of years after that to figure out is what, what this historical fact actually impacts. How does it affect my world? Now, one thing about going to Washington, D.C. as an eighth grader, I saw Lincoln's tomb, but he was encased in the tomb. There was no expectation of, oh, well, where is, where is Abraham Lincoln? No, 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 he's dead. He's in the tomb. The thing that makes this resurrection story so powerful is the fact that when Jesus was resurrected, he was no longer dead. He's, he's alive. Okay, do I need to say this again? He was dead, and now he's alive. In fact, let me go a step further. You can go and visit Washington, D.C. I could now, this some 40 years later, and go up to the tomb of Abraham Lincoln, and guess what? He's still in there. He's dead. But the practical thing about Jesus on this day that we read about was he was dead, but now he's alive. And the next day, even though no one ran to the tomb, guess what? He's still alive. And the third day, he is still alive. And the fourth day, he is still alive. And right up until yesterday, he was still alive. And today, this morning, he is, he's alive. Now, Jen was sharing about her wonderful grandfather, which is Tyler's grandfather, Marvin Dorothy, they were actually members of the first church that I worked in as a youth pastor when I came to the Northwest. Marv was an amazing gentleman. So friendly, but he was a guy, like, from the farm, and he would be hilarious and tell jokes. And, but he's passed on. 95 years of impactful life, but yesterday was a celebration of life, and he is no longer, his body here on earth is no longer alive. There's no expectation to see him here. That is radically different than Jesus. Jesus is alive right now. He is alive. And the fact that he is alive makes all the things in play from when he was first alive and functioning, though he passed away when he got back up on that resurrection morning, the same Jesus steps up now alive and still continues to function as the same being, the same person, God in the flesh, and yet all of his attributes carry on into this day. And while I don't know where the tomb is, 
And I could not take you there. I could not go there myself, although there's speculations. Here's the reality. He is alive. He is a living. He is approachable. He is knowable. And we shall all behold him with our own eyes, as Job said, and not another. We will see him because he is living. Amen? Amen. And so I want to just talk to you about a few things about the fact that he is alive and how these things impact me. Because Going from that eighth grade communion where I was dead on the inside, Jesus was a historical fact. I did not understand what the resurrection really meant. To me, it was just history. How does it even play into my life? Then fast forward to being an 18-year-old young man and step into church where people were worshiping God, and I experienced him for the very first time. And how that fact that he is alive and he met me that day, how it has powerfully impacted my life. And so let me just give you a couple of these points. Number one, if he is alive, that means I I can actually know him. Now, I know it's a little bit challenging in our minds, even in Jesus' time, to meet Jesus because he was very popular and he's limited to one space at one time. There's not even an internet. He couldn't even do a video chat. He had to go one by one or speak to crowds. But I think it's fascinating as you read his life While he spoke to large crowds, he was very dialed in and very intent on having conversation with individuals. And sometimes the least, um, maybe the the least expected individuals that, that were in the crowd, he would make his way to them and have personal interactions so that they could know him, they could experience him, and he could know and experience them as well. And he carried that right on in his life, right up until after the, uh, the resurrection. In fact, as you read through the scriptures, um, you'll see in Luke chapter 24 that Jesus actually, after he's resurrected and after the disciples are looking for him, this is bizarre. There's two guys walking down the road talking about this resurrection, and Jesus goes and Jesus has a Interaction, why don't you, do me a favor, hand me the microphone and I'll shut this one off. I don't know what's feeding back, but that's, it's not annoying to you, but it's annoying to me. There we go, okay. All right, so think about, think about this. There's two guys walking down the road. Jesus has just resurrected. Jesus is commissioning his disciples to start a church. They need to be encouraged. They're all confused. There's all sorts of disarray that's going on. But Jesus doesn't prioritize all of that stuff. Jesus prioritizes two guys walking down the road, talking about the resurrection, kind of confused about what has happened. They're not even disciples. They're not on church staff. They're not pastors. They don't preach. They didn't do the giving message that day. They are some random two guys in the crowd. And you know what Jesus does in that scripture? Goes out of his way to introduce himself to them so that they will know that he is alive and that he wants to impact their lives. And you read through the story there in Luke chapter 24, and they realize after he's departed that that was the son of God, the one that they're talking about. That, I think, is in the scripture so that you will have the awareness that because he's still alive, he still does this same type of actions. This wasn't a moment where he changed something about himself. This is a continuation of who he is after the resurrection. So that you'll know the same Jesus that walked around introducing himself to the woman at the well, the demoniac, 
to individuals like Zacchaeus, a, a guy that probably no religious leader wanted to meet. He wanted to meet Zacchaeus so Zacchaeus could have a relationship with God. That is still the heart and the function of God, of Jesus. And this is what I know, that because we live in the New Testament and we have the scripture that teaches us that though Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he has sent the Holy Spirit to go to each of us and to have that same encounter in our lives so that we will be introduced to Christ. Here's one of the interesting things about Jesus. He limited himself to the form of a man, which means if he were to show up here on earth and try to visit each one of you like he did these two men walking on the road, there would not be enough time in your lifetime for him to visit every person, even for a moment that's alive while you're alive. And so when Jesus said, it's better that I go away, because when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to reveal me. And that's one of the amazing experiences that I had no idea about. I wasn't even taught this in that confirmation class. It just happened to me out of the blue. I went to a church service, a different kind of church, a church kind of like ours, people raising their hands, whistling. It was the 80s, so some of them had tambourines. Thank God the 80s are over. And, 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 and it's a, but, but a setting where people who have had an experience with this living Jesus are singing not just some song depressed, but they're excited because They've experienced the living Jesus. And I walked in, and it captivated my attention. But while it captivated my attention, I'm telling you something supernatural happened. While standing there looking around, and my, my mind's somewhat blown, and thinking this is actually kind of cool. This is the first people that I've ever heard sing songs about God who are acting like the words are true. They were excited. The church I came out of, people sang like this. And it felt like death. And oh, God is good. Isn't he wonderful? Wonderful. That's my background. And these people were singing, isn't he wonderful? And I thought, these people are either crazy, they're on crack, or they really have had something happen that's, they believe this. But standing there in the room, I experienced what, the book of John talks about where Jesus said, it's good that I go away because if I do, I can send him, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to reveal me. He won't be limited by time or space. He can visit Jalice while he can, he can, he can visit um, John one aisle over and in different states and in different places. In fact, he can visit a thousand people at one time and introduce them to the same Jesus, but in a way that resonates with them. And that's what Jesus did himself. He didn't approach everybody with the same five points. Hey, I am, I am Jesus. Point B, did you know that I'm the son of God? See, why does this matter? Because you have sin and I want to rescue you. Now he reached out to their humanity and said, I know you, I care about you. Come and follow me into a better life. Amen, Amen. into eternity. And he was able to speak what resonated with each of them. And this is what I love about the Holy Spirit is that he's able to reveal Jesus on a frequency that's important to you. I have this really weird belief, but I've experienced it over and over that while I'm up here speaking or any one of our speakers or our worship team, as we are talking about him, this is something that's happened to many of you. 
Some it's happening to you today for the first time, and some of you in the next few visits, it's going to happen to you. We're somewhere in the midst of all of this. It's going to be strange. It'll feel like time stops, and all of a sudden, the curtain separating heaven and hell, or heaven from earth, sometimes earth is hell. <laughs> Last couple of years, oh Lord, beam me up, I'm ready. Um, the, it's almost like a curtain opens up, and you're face to face, though you don't see him with your eyes. You sense, oh, oh man, God, you're real. You are really real. Like that there's a breath that comes from the Holy Spirit, and, he, and he, you sense that he is real. And it's not in your imagination. It's not in your, uh, in your psyche. It is a real experience because that's what the Spirit of God does. And I'm just so, so confident that when you and I come together, that for the people we invite in or people who wander in, they don't have to be convinced information, but the Holy Spirit shows up to reveal, guess what? God is real and he is for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so I love that. So because he's alive, he's not waiting in mothballs in a crate someplace so that when you die, boy, bust out the holy crowbar and let's pop them out and now... Heaven begins so God is practical. The reality is God will never be more practical than in this lifetime, and that this lifetime experience carries on the value into all of eternity as we experience him. Let me tell you what. You understand what I'm saying? We need God for eternity, but not as much as you need God to navigate through this lifetime. Amen. Amen. And I want to say that knowing him opens the door I mean, think about the coolest person you know or the most famous person you know and how that means something to you or how you value that or how you have a token of that at your house. And when people come over, hey, here's a picture of me and Hulk Hogan. Right? Some of you, you know, you're like, Hulk who? Superfly Snooker or whomever. Or this is a picture of me and Joe Rogan. I saw him at, a, at the comedy club. Or this is me shaking hands with a former president. And that means something to you because of the value and I don't want to take away from any of that value, but the God who created heaven and earth wants to reveal himself to you so that the closest relationship in this lifetime that you can enjoy is a relationship with him. Amen. And what I've been so amazed with, that moment where he introduced himself to me, he was, became alive for me, though he's been a living. He became alive, and for every day since... He has been alive in my life, as real as my spouse, as real as my children, as real as my grandchildren, but this relationship has no limitations because while there are sometimes my grandchildren do not understand what Papa is going through, try to explain to a four-year-old the stresses of life. <laughs> oh, you mean there was no milk for cereal? No, I mean lots worse. But this God that we serve has been through everything that we've been through, and yet he's with me, and he can help me. He can listen to me. He can encourage me. He's a friend that sticks closer than any brother. That is available because he is alive, and that's how the resurrection impacts that. Also, because he's alive, uh, we can, I can still experience miracles. As a lot of people have bought into this idea that the reason why Jesus did miracles was to validate who he was. And while I would say there is some truth to that perspective, Jesus did miracles 
to validate who he was. I would argue the reason why Jesus did miracles was because people needed a miracle. He wasn't showing off. In fact, here's the interesting thing about Jesus is that he wasn't interested in validating himself by the miracles because the Bible says so many times when he did a miracle, he whispered in the person's ear and said, hey, go your own way. Don't sin anymore. And by the way, don't tell anybody what I've just done. And nine out of 10 times, woohoo! guess what Jesus did in my life? They would not keep their mouth shut. And the reason why Jesus wanted them to keep it quiet was because there is an impact on a crowd that's known as the mob. And one day they're shouting, Hosanna! And the very next day they'll shout, crucify. And they'll be moved by anything that they see. But what was important to Jesus is that he could speak to individuals and reveal his desire to to help them, to be God in their life, to forgive them of sin, to help them step beyond sin into a thriving life. And so Jesus did those miracles. And it's not just, you would think that if he did the miracles just to prove who he was, the ultimate miracle is the resurrection, right? So why do anything beyond that? Except for the fact, here in John chapter 21, the disciples were so confused, they went back to fishing. They had fished all night like many other days in their lifetime as fishermen, many days that you have where you work and you work. How many of you, well, I won't even have you raise your hands. Many of you work on commission. You go out, you hustle, you wine and dine, you do all the right things, and then you go to seal the deal. And they're like, oh, guess what? I got a call from my brother-in-law. He also sells air conditioners, so I've decided I'm going to buy one for him. What? Like, I mean, you know what it is to, to fish all night and not catch anything. So many of you have been through that process. And so when the disciples are confused, Jesus has been resurrected. They've really not seen him yet. And they're out fishing because they need to feed their families. They've caught nothing. And yet Jesus says from the shore, friends, have you caught any fish? They answered, no. He says, throw your net to the right side of the boat. And that, listen, this is like deja vu. This has happened before. When they first met Jesus, they had fished all night, caught nothing. This is their business. Listen, Jesus is practical, not for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. You need this friendship with Jesus because he'll impact your work situation. He'll impact your ability to parent your kids. He will impact your ability to navigate through opposition. He will help you to be a better business person. You'll make better investments because everything about him applies to every arena of your life. And so here they are. They're out fishing because their families need to eat. And this this thing, I thought we were going to be disciples, but... Our leader took off. He's dead but disappeared. I mean, they have no, there's no, this is not a movie script. They don't know how this turns out. So they go back to fishing. They're not catching anything. He says, throw your nets to the other side. And we have another miracle catch. And the reason why he does that is to remind, remind them, when you come to the end of you, let me be me in your life. The miracles of God, I'll make this declaration. I'll look you in the eye. I won't fight you over this, but I will not back down from this. The same miracles that he did while on earth, he is still doing, and he still wants to do, okay? And we don't take a backward, passive posture on that. The reason why we don't is because he's alive. You'll hear me say this often. 
If Jesus was here, I know what he would do. And physically, he's not here, but he's given us authority. And as the book of John teaches us, the same things I've done, you will do, and even at a greater measure, because you'll live longer lives, and there's more of you. So go and do likewise. If Jesus would have healed you here, we're going to believe you here. We're going to believe here and now that he's going to heal you today, even though he's not here, because his Holy Spirit is here, right? Amen? Amen. And so I find that I don't need a miracle every day. But I do need, there are moments when I do need miracles. I was watching, uh, this, this, this fascinating thought kind of hit me. I was watching a program with my wife. We don't watch a ton of TV in the evening time. We'll usually sit down about 8.30 and we go to bed fairly early. So we might watch an episode of something. And if there's anything even worth watching, but we were watching not too long ago, this man who was in, uh, who was uh, an officer of the law, um, his family was, he didn't know where they were and they were being attacked. And it's all make-believe, so don't get emotionally invested in it, okay? But here's this idea that's playing out that he has no control over the situation. And he's desperate, and he's trying to do all he can, and his family is trying to fight off this attack. And, and then I fast-forwarded thinking back, this scenario plays out so many times in so many programs, thinking about the parents who get a diagnosis about their child, and they're crossing their fingers, and they're asking why, and they, they have no there's nothing that they can do. They are victims to the circumstance. And something perks up in me every time I watch something like that. I'm like, that is a horrible way to live. And the reason why is because if Jesus is alive, we have an option. It's not desperation. I hope somebody shows up. I hope they figure it out. I hope they can hide. It's I can call on the one who is able to do something right here and right now. Oh, come on. You got to, come on. Some of you have been in this room or rooms like this when you've had a diagnosis and the doctor has said, we've come to the end. I don't know what else to do. And then there have been believers who have prayed over you and believed God and quoted scripture and prayed with all their intention and spoke healing over your life. And you sit here today cancer free. There's some of you in this room. I can start naming you by name. And yeah, maybe we're not a thousand percent successful. Okay. But guess what? There were some people that Jesus wanted to heal and they didn't get healed either. And then there were some people that the disciples wanted to heal. The Bible talks about Paul, great man of faith, has written the majority of the New Testament, and yet some of his helpers, he had to leave them behind in other cities because they were sick. And so while we might not experience the 100% that Jesus does, we fight for every inch that we can, believing that if he were here, every miracle needed would take place. Amen? I don't know. I don't know about you, but... If I don't believe in miracles, then I got to cross the resurrections. The first one I got to cross off the list. But he is alive. And because he's alive, he's still doing what he's always done. He's still doing the miraculous. And sometimes it's healing. And sometimes it's just the simple things in life. The first miracle he did, a couple who were getting married missed one of the details. Well, that, that shouldn't matter. You shouldn't waste your time. Don't waste God's time praying about that, listen, been involved with a few weddings. You don't ever want to say something like that to a about-to-be bride, okay? Because there's a transformation that'll happen, greenness, and, and Zilla is at the end of it, and it becomes ugly, okay? 
Every detail matters. Jesus cares about the details of your life. And you can call out on a miracle when you have a relationship with him because he cares about even the little details of your life. Amen? Amen. Let me give you the last point. Why don't you stand with me? Worship team's going to come, and I'll just, I'll just finish this one uh, really quick. I, I don't have enough time to get to it. We had so many good things going on this morning. Got to sing a little El Espanol. I didn't know all those words, but I do know a few words. Zapatos, pantalones, ropa, cabeza, mi amor. No, that's French. Also, no pig Latin. Ia, aimne, is a, even stay. Some of you are like, what? We're, we're charismatic, so just. Anyhow, let me. <laughs> that was a joke that went over like a lib loon. Don't worry, the real pastor will be here next week. I'm just filling in. Uh, you'll know he's the real pastor when he has a flannel shirt on and some sneakers and a pair of jeans, okay? That's the guy. The thing I love about uh, Jesus being alive, you get this final point, and they're going to, you can go ahead and you can take the platform, or you can take the whole platform, pick the entire thing up and carry it off to the side. Thank you. Well, you could probably do it. You're strong. Um, One of the, the final thing that I really love about Jesus being alive is that I'm not stuck being the same idiot that I was yesterday. And though my idiocy has diminished through the years, I think, because I've been walking with Jesus and he's just, he's, he loves me so much that he tells me the truth about me. Not the truth I try to present on Facebook or so, I hardly ever post on social media because I'm like, if I do, I wanna, I wanna post the ugly picture of me. Not that, you know, we all take 10 pictures and we look for the best one. I look really strong in that picture and skinny in that picture. You can't see my weird pattern baldness in that picture. I'll pose that one. I want the one where I look real. Well, something hanging out of my nose, something in my mustache, something in between my teeth, looking all, you know, third trimester and looking like a small child could whoop my tail in a wrestling match, right? Um, one, of the, one of the most amazing things about Jesus, one of the most, this, this to me, honestly, is more valuable than the fact that he can do miracles. It's the fact that he can transform me from being the idiot that I was into something that can accomplish something in this lifetime of value and become not a better person by effort, although I have to participate in it, I can become more like him, which is remarkable. The idea that he is alive. He did this with every single one of the disciples. He embraced them. Oh, Josh. I, and everybody thinks Josh is perfect because he's married to Tricia, right? I mean, it's like having female, female Jesus live at your house and makes you all perfect. And, and you would have to be hard-pressed, but you would find some imperfections about Josh. But the beautiful thing about Jesus' relationship with Josh is that Jesus loves Josh so much, he also recognizes some of those imperfections will stop him from being the best version of himself that he can be, that glorifies God with his life, but also the best husband he can be and the best friend that he can be and the best leader he can be in the church. So Jesus is so faithful in a loving way to come into our lives and and walk with us and love on us and be friends with us and high five us 
and like smack us and tell a joke to us and laugh at us and celebrate with us and say, hey, Josh, listen, I need to talk to you about the pile on the side of the bed. It's Trisha's pile. So the real problem has just been revealed. It's called throwing your wife under the bus. And although it's a little bit painful, how many of you, do you know that genetically, like DNA wise, there is a better version of you that's been created than is actually living out right now? As an 18 year old, I, I determined in my heart, I was gonna be nothing like my parents. Oh, they were so messed up. Oh, I'm gonna break free, I'm gonna be my own man. Woo, I'm gonna soar to heights. And I, yeah, hallelujah. That's what I, I agree with you. And nobody was singing. They weren't angels singing. They're fallen angels singing while I was doing that. And you know what? I was quickly duplicating some of the same things that my parents struggled with. I mean, really, I was, I, all, so many of the things that frustrated me about them, and I love my parents, they're wonderful people, but they're human beings and sinful like, like all of us. And I was becoming the very thing I didn't want to be. And I tried, I could never break free from that. But one introduction with Jesus and he's so gentle, cares about us so much, he just wants to even take a really, really good Josh that seems like he has no imperfections, but he does and God's able to reach down in and say, hey, listen, some things that happened to you as a young boy that are broken and I'm going to fix those. No one can see those on the outside, but they impact your confidence. And I want you to know, I'm gonna make you whole. And you're gonna walk in confidence because I'm gonna restore the things that were robbed from you. And it might be scars, but nothing's broken anymore. And you're able to step into life a whole, a, the better version of you. Jesus is alive. He's alive. I can know him. I can experience his miracles and I can continually be transformed. The idiot I'm today will be gone because there will be a better version tomorrow. And the next day, the idiot that was yesterday or tomorrow, and listen, this is like a, well, okay, hand over, hand over your heart. Look me in the eye. If you're here today and you've yet to step into this relationship with Jesus, step across the threshold. Step across, just say, Jesus, I, I sense that you are real. I say yes to following you. Listen, it's not, you're still gonna have to walk out and probably leave in the same car. He doesn't have a magic chariot out front waiting for you. He's not gonna drag you off into some life, take you to third world country so you can preach, okay? He's gonna visit you in your life. Step across the line, Jesus, I, sensing that you're real, you want me to follow you, I say yes. Let's take the first step and make that declaration today. If you're somewhere along the journey, you've kind of veered off and though he's alive, you've been living like he's not alive, like he's in some crypt someplace. Today's the day to just declare he's alive. I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live walking with him. And if you've been serving God for a long time, celebrate because the idiot that's alive today won't be here tomorrow. Be a transformed version of that. Hopefully you're not offended. Pastor called me an idiot. No, I If we make fun of you here, it's because we love you. You know you're in. If somebody makes fun of you, you're in. Okay. okay. Father, I thank you for each person here today. I ask you to bless their lives. Some new friends, some old friends. Lord, some people who are not sure. But God, I thank you that I don't have to convince them, but Holy Spirit, you could visit them, not only here this morning, but 
when they get in the quiet place of their room tonight, as they're standing contemplating the thoughts of the day, trying to fall asleep, Holy Spirit, you're able to visit them and say, I'm real. And you're able to give them that hope and invite them to follow. Jesus, we honor you, we love you, we celebrate you today. Thank you for inviting us into a relationship. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. It's your name we celebrate. On this and every day that's Resurrection Day, everyone said amen and amen. Give a big shout. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church. 